0: Our scripture lesson uh, may sound familiar to you. Uh, We know that Jesus said these words, but it comes first from Leviticus. Uh, Let's share in God's good word together. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. For 35 years and counting, the Harvard Study of Adult Development has tracked an original group of 724 men since 1938, and 1,300 of their descendants, both male and female, over three generations, uh, the longest and largest study of its kind. And they asked thousands of questions, took hundreds of measurements to find out what really keeps people healthy and happy. How do you have a long and happy life? And after studying these students for 85 years, what they found, is this is not going to surprise you, strong relationships are the key to having a happy and healthy life. Relationships in all their forms, not just romantic ones, but friendships and families and co-workers, Bible study groups, club members. They all contribute to a happier, healthy life. And so this is actually Robert Waldinger and his wife. Uh, He was one of the people that uh, is a part of this study. And really, it all comes down to this. And I hope you'll say it with me so we can just get it in us. Good relationships keep us healthier and happier. That's it. That's it. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at relationships. Because it's good for you. It's important for you. It's important for the world. Good relationships are the key. They keep us healthier and happier. And so that's what church is all about. So we're going to start with something that we all have, and that are parents. We've all had them. We were born into some family of some kind. Um, And and let me just say this up front. What I believe about parenting is whoever raises you are your parents. That's it. Just whoever raises you. When we're talking about parenting, that's what we're talking about. And so we're going to talk about parenting this week. Um, And it is not a grade. Nobody's beating on anybody. This is how do we do it better. Uh, some of you are completed with one set of parenting. You've, you parent other people. You parent grandchildren. Uh, there's all sorts of things that we can learn together. So um, you might not think that this sermon is for you. It's for you. It's for you. And then next week, we're going to look at primary relationships and marriages. And then the third week, I know what you really want to know is how do I deal with those difficult people? And we're going to talk about that in the third week. So uh, let's get started. Personal connections, friends, are the most important factor in long-term health and happiness, they just are. And we know this from the very beginning of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 2, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. It's not. I will make him a helper as his partner. Now, there's been a lot of problems around that verse uh, for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Now, there's been a, a debate about what does this helper mean. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But first of all, let me say this. To be fully human, we need to be in relationship with others. It's how God made us. We're supposed to be with others, with community. So helper in the Bible is a relationship of mutuality, not subordination. Mutuality and interdependence. That is what helper means. And actually, if you look over in the Psalms and some other places in the Bible, it actually would mean the one you can't live without. So these are really important relationships, not one over the other. And in case we forgot that, or like, well, where in the Bible does it say that? Well, actually, previous to that, in Genesis 1. It says, so God created in his image, humankind, in the image of God, he created them, say it with me, male and female, he created them together. So, strong relationships, they reduce stress, they reduce incidence of depression, and they decrease recovery time. Some studies uh, showed that you could heal almost twice as fast. By simply having somebody cheering you on, somebody in your hospital room, somebody that you could call, somebody that would send you a note, whether that's from your Sunday school class uh, or your soccer club or whatever it is, just to have people around you, that makes us stronger, healthier, better. So, researchers found that these large social networks, not social media, not social media, (laughs) but social networks, right? Uh, Groups of people, they lower our risk for premature death more than exercise. So go hang out with your friends, right? Exercise is good for you too. But also, or dieting. It's that important. We know how healthy people are more than what they eat, more than even how often they work out. Who do they have around them? Who do they have around them? And certainly we see this all the time. Uh, The more isolated people are, um, their life goes south in a hurry. Um, They forget to take their medicine. Nobody reminds them. You know, this bill slips, nobody's there to notice. Their health slips. They're not quite themselves. You see, this is really a matter of life and death, friends. And so the researcher, Robert Waldinger he says, our friendships, our relationships, they don't just take care of themselves. It's something we have to work at together. It's not going to just happen. In the same way we talked about justice a few weeks ago, justice doesn't just happen and friendships don't just happen. You have to put in the time and the energy. If you've been around here long, you know this. Uh, what is the number one enemy of relationships? Busyness. You're just too busy. Somebody says, hey, you want to go to dinner? You know, I'd love to, but I just, I just, you know, this week's not going to work. Well, what about next week? Well, yeah, I thought so. Oh, no, that doesn't work. Now, you all have done this. This is not unique to me. Right. right? So the hardest part about ever going to dinner with someone is trying to find a time to do it. Because we're so stinking busy. I would submit to you that for your own health and happiness, you might choose to be less busy so you can be more present to folks. So, uh, Father Richard Rohr, uh, in his wisdom, he says this. The best criticism of the bad is the practice of the better. We can choose not to be so busy. We can choose to be in relationship. We can choose to work on our relationships as much as we work on our work. Because you can be really good at your work and still die quickly and sad but you know people who work on their relationships they're happy they're happier they're healthier they live longer and so again we're going to look at these three things parenting marriage and difficult people over the next three weeks but as we look at this as a whole i want to share with you two things real quickly number one great relationships require effort say that with me great relationships require effort you know this is true this is true and so sometimes people come to me and they're worried about their marriage or their marriage isn't the way they would like for it to be. Or, or maybe their relationship with their son or their daughter or their parents isn't what it you know, used to be. And m- one of my questions is, well, how much time are you spending on it? When's the last time you had a date night? When's the last time you had intentional time with the person that you're worried about? So that's one. It takes a lot of effort. And two, and most importantly, you can do it. You can Every person in the room can make your relationships better. It's a matter of choosing it. It's a matter of where you focus, what you look on. Uh, In the scriptures, in Colossians, it says, look at things above, not on the earth below. In the same way, we can look at the relationships that are important to us rather than at our phones. We can. It's it's a choice. So today we start with parenting. And I want you to think about, um, it's been said that um, a son's first love is his mom. And that's true right? Our first relationship is with our parents. It's with our parents and we're connected. And the scriptures, they know that this is so important, not just as little ones, but all the way through our lives, that we are to honor our fathers and mothers. This is in the 10 commandments, right? Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Honoring your father and mother is more important than not murdering I mean, look where it is in the list. Before murder, before adultery, before stealing, before lying, honoring your mom and dad, it's a big deal to God. It's a big deal to your life. It's a big deal the way the world works. But I think um, P.J. O'Rourke puts it uh, with a point on it. He simply says, everyone wants to save the world, no one wants to help mom with the dishes. (laughs) Right? Takes effort. Takes intentionality. And, and this is why that quote's so important to me, because every action, no matter how small, it moves the relationship, doesn't it? It also moves the direction. It moves the future. right? You choose to help with the dishes or not? It changes the relationship, one decision at a time, over and over in your family relationship. One of the um, great hazards of our time uh, this won't be a surprise to you uh, is our phones. Since 2008, uh, the rates of all kinds of depression and anxiety have skyrocketed among our young people. Um, and really, uh, all the way up until age 55. There's a new study out just a few weeks ago. So, let me ask you this. The average American opens their smartphone how many times a day, do you think? 240%. That would be a great guess. It's only 58. <laughs> but, you think about it, that's average. That's average. Right? So people are, uh, open up their phone 58 times a day. It's a lot harder to focus on the things that are important to you if you're on your phone all day. And nearly 70% of people surveyed reported conflict with family members over using their phone or tablet. I think that's low. My hunch is, I mean, most of the people I see, it's more than that. Seems like almost every family I know. Like, will you put your phone down? Or I'm talking to you, did you hear me? And like, oh, yeah, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. This just the world we're living in these days. And so here's the thing I want you to remember. Just because your home doesn't mean you're present. Yes. Right? Yes. Just because your home doesn't mean you're present. Now, when I was growing up, it was really easy to know whether my dad was present or not. It was called the paper. And you couldn't even see him. Like, he was protected. Uh, but now it's our phones. And C.S. Lewis uh, was onto something when he wrote, The sun looks down on nothing half so good. As a household laughing together over a meal. You know, when you think about the good times with your families, don't they often include a meal? Gathering around the table, telling stories, sharing laughter, having fun together. And in case you think that you get to skip this one, just as a reminder, parenting doesn't end once they leave the house. Not by a long shot. Now, to be fair, I'm just learning this. Chantel and I have been empty nesters for three months so I won't talk about that because we don't know anything yet. But the stuff before, we've learned some things. And one of the things we've learned is to tie ourselves to other people that have gone before us. I'm so grateful for people that are about 10 years older than we are. So we can, you know, in golf we say putt first, right? You, you watch them. How do they do it? Does it work? Does it not work? And so what we've learned is to look at other people. And, and one of the voices that i found to be consistently strong and good and healthy and right is Andy Stanley. He and his wife, Sandra, they have a, a new book out uh, called Parenting. It's, it's just been out a few weeks. Um, and he's basically, he and Sandra, Andy will write like one chapter. Sandra will write another chapter. And Andy says this. He says, if you don't hit pause long enough to consider the direction that you're parenting, you may wake up one day to realize that you're parented in the wrong direction. Right? And then he says this, by wrong, I mean you parented in a direction you would not have chosen had you stopped long enough to choose. This happens all the time. And and that, I mean, that rings true to me. I mean, when's the last time you really stopped and thought as a family, what is the end in mind that we are hoping for for our child, for our relationship? What does that look like? How intentional is it? ...what we're doing with our kids? Or are we just trying to survive between dance and soccer and baseball... ...and, you know, getting to church? For many of us, it's the latter. We don't even stop and think about it. Now, fortunately for me, I'm married to Chantel... ...which is great for me. And she taught me that what we wanted... ...was to raise our boys in a way... ...where they enjoyed being with us... ...even when they no longer had to be. That was the goal. That they would come home... ...silly boys at Christmas. Those were wrapping papers... So I got two ninjas and a present here. Um, but that was a few Christmases ago. And she just told me, she's like, Mark, lighten up. We want them to come back. I was like, oh yeah, you do. But, <laughs> <coughs> no, I, want, I love seeing my boys. It's great. <laughs> so what we're doing, friends, is we're parenting towards a healthy independence, aren't we? That's what we want. We don't want them living in our basement. Parenting towards healthy independence. Thomas Merton, the great mystic, says it like this. The beginning of love is the will to let those we love be perfectly themselves. They're not many-me's. The resolution not to twist them to fit our own image. If in loving them we do not love what they are, but only their potential likeness to ourselves, then we do not love them. We only love the reflection of ourselves we find in them. Hear that, friends. So important. So important. Because children who don't differentiate are denied the possibility to choose the relationship with their parents, right? If they're not separate, then they can't choose to come back. And Stanley says it like this. He says, you can't reconnect with something you never disconnected from. The goal is for your child, your children, not to need you so they can choose you, right? So they can choose to be with you. And then when they are with you, you'll know it's because they choose to be. Not because they need money. Not because they've got nowhere else to go. But because you have a healthy adult relationship with your children. That continues on and on. And it's one of the great blessings of your life. But make no mistake about it. you got to be flexible. Parenting changes, doesn't it? Right? Parenting, when they're 0 to 3, way different than 16 to 18. Very, very different. And so, here's one of the things... Um, this is our family a few years ago when the boys were in high school. And, and when they were basically small, but primarily middle of elementary school all the way until they left the house, we simply had two rules. Everything else kind of went around these two rules, but there were two and they were inviolate. You could not break these two rules. Uh, one of them is honor your mom, honor Chantelle. This was super important in our house because it was all guys and her, right? I'm a dude, Joe Mark's a dude. Noah's a dude, even our dog Peanut's a dude. It's all male all the time. And so if we weren't careful, it would be easy to sort of joke at her expense or any of that, or, you know, talk about girls, you know, girls. But no, no, you have to honor the woman of the home. Because so often when we were planting the church, I was out doing this, and she was raising the boys. And so it's super important that when she said something, they knew that that had to happen. It only works that way. So one was honor Chantel, and the second was don't lie. Don't lie. Because if you're lying, I can't help you. I don't know what's going on with you. I don't know how to come alongside you. I can't be an ally to you if I don't know what's going on with you. I can't help you. And I grew up in a family, um, my original family, of my mom and dad, they would simply say to me, John Mark, if you tell us the truth, you'll get in trouble. But you won't get in as much trouble as if you lie. Because if we find out you're lying, it's game over for you. And really what that meant was spanking, no spanking, right? I mean, we could kind of talk it out if I'm telling the truth. But if I'm lying to them, they, you, know, you just don't know what to do with that. And that, that was, I'm not advocating for that. I'm just saying that's how I grew up. And, and it made sense to me. And so we can talk through anything. We can work together on anything. And so when your, your kids are little, um, there's lots of ways to break this down and in lots smaller pieces. But for today and the time we have, we're going to talk about 0 to 12. Right? That's sort of one stage. When you do that, what you're doing is you're teaching your children the difference between good and bad. And that there are consequences to those actions. And, and here's the thing, friends. And th- this, is, this is hard to do sometimes. You want your kids to fail while you're watching in small, tiny ways. So that they're like, oh it's bad to jump off the mailbox, right? It hurts. It hurts. Sometimes it takes multiple times of watching them do that. But if we protect them from every piece of pain, when they fail later, they fail big with big consequences. Let them fail small and have small consequences so that they can learn. Again, Paul picks up on this importance of honor and family systems um, in Ephesians. In Ephesians 6, he says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Basically like the Ten Commandments. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. You see, God says it's going to go longer with you if you honor your parents. You're going to have a better life if you honor your parents. So that it may be well with you and may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so the first part of this is talking about really adult children of aging parents. There's a really important lesson here that we have to re-remember, and that is that people are more important than their economic contribution. You understand this? Your parents are not there only as a paycheck or an inheritance to you. They have a soul. They gave you birth and life, and we are to honor that. Wherever they are, however they are. It's important that we honor our parents because your kids are watching. And if you want your kids to pay attention to you or take care of you when you're 80, you better be doing that for your folks when they're 80. Because otherwise, they won't know how to do it. They'll just assume, well, you know, we never saw grandma or grandpa after they, you know, were old. And so, you know, we won't, I never saw my folks go there. And so we're not going to go see them. It never even comes into your mind. This is super important, friends, that we get this right. And then the second part of this, Paul's really talking about smaller children. And so, I don't know. It's, it's, I've studied and studied on this um, about what it means to provoke your children to anger. And there's not really a lot out there. There's not, scholars don't necessarily agree or even talk about what that means, provoking your children to anger. But here's, here's the thing as a, as a dad of boys. And, and dads, you don't have to admit this out loud, but I think you know this is true. There are moments... When you're having a rough day or you've got unresolved anger, maybe you don't even know, maybe it's not even at your conscious mind, but you're in a basketball game with your son, and for some reason you just turn it on and you don't let him score a point, you block his shots, you know, you, you dunk on him on an eight foot goal, you're a big man. So, you know, there's a thing about us though, whether it's a video game, whether it's a competition, and it's been said that the best and worst day of any young man's life is the day he bests his father. Right? Because you need your dad to be strong, but you don't need your dad to be a jerk. Right? There's a relationship there. You need to learn what sportsmanship looks like, what health looks like, what mercy looks like. And here, here's the thing that this is so important. We have to remember that our children don't have the same relationship with us that we have with them. We're the parents, we're not friends, we're not peers. Right? Your children do not have the same relationship with you that you have with them. It's a different relationship. So fathers, don't provoke your children or they may lose heart. Absolutely. Your kids are looking to you for hope, for you to be an ally, to come alongside them and say, "Yes, you can do this." Again, Andy Stanley in his wisdom, he says, "You are relating to a child. Your child is relating to an adult. You are in a relationship with someone who is dependent. Your child is in a relationship with someone who holds all the cards." Those are two very different relationships. Very, very different relationships. So it matters what you say, and it matters what you don't say. What your kids hear, and what they've not yet heard. This is my family of origin. Uh, I love this photo because I'm basically the age my dad was in that photo. And my boys are br- roughly the same age as uh, my sister and I. That's Deb and me um, in our late college years. I think she was out of school by then, and my mom. And so, um, I I love this because I can kind of sense of like, oh, that must have been like kind of what that was like. Now, I also remember that it wasn't until I was that age. I was in 1987. I was on the main floor of Farmhouse Fraternity. It was in the spring. I can tell you where and when and how the first time I heard my dad say, I'm proud of you. It's powerful. And I just wonder... When's the last time your child heard you say, I am proud of you? That must have been difficult, or that was hard, and I'm proud of you. You stuck with it. That was really good. It took nearly 20 years for me to hear those words. Now, to be fair, dudes my age were like, he said that to you? Like, my dad never said that. Right? I mean, because a lot of older gentlemen that grew up sort of post-World War II in this era, they're like, I told you I loved you. Don't you remember? That's just kind of how it was. But here's the thing. Words matter. I love you. Matters. I'm sorry. Matters. I forgive you. Matters. I am proud of you. Matters. So with all that I am, let me encourage you. Do not talk to your children as an equal or as a friend. They need what only you can give as a parent. They can have lots of friends. You're the only one that can be their parent. If you're their mom, be a mom. If you're their dad, be a dad. They don't need another friend. They need you and they need you in your role. And, and then Andy Stanley said this, and I, I really struggled with this when I read it through, and I, it took me a while to get on board, and it may take you a little while uh, because I was not great at this. I mean, I, just, I was not great at this. But he says, arguing is for peers, arguing is for equals. You are neither. You are their parent. You're their parent. And so sometimes our children need our no, it's a gift. It's a gift. It protects them. It allows them to not go to the party they didn't really want to go to anyway, but they didn't know how to get out of it. They're safe because your no matters. It means they're not in charge. You are, and they're happy to let you be in charge. You see, when you begin to argue with your son or your daughter, you've already lost. You've already lost your role as a parent. What they need is for you to have wisdom and power and grace and glory in their life, not John back and forth with them. Now I know there's a lot of cognitive stuff I've just kind of laid out here, and they're like, "Whew, that's a lot." So don't worry. Let's boil it down to this: be a dog, Aww. right? Just be a happy dog. You know, happy dogs—they're looking at the window. Are they home yet? Are they home yet? Are they home yet? I hope they're home yet. Oh, they're here! Yay! They're here. We love you. We love you. You know, you're you're loving on them. You're kissing on them. It's so, so wonderful. Like, oh, I love my kids. Right? Be a dog. So everything I've said, just be a dog. Until your kids become cats. <laughs> and they don't like dogs. Now we're going to 12 to 18. <laughs> right? There's gonna be a day when your perfectly normal, healthy, you know, bubbly child comes home and they're gonna act like a cat. It's gonna weird you out. You're like, what is up with them? That is not the time to be a dog. Because it just, it, it doesn't work. You have to change your parenting. You have to change it. Or since it's just not going to work. So, in this season, you become a coach. Not a dog. And in the coaching years, you connect more than you correct. Amen? This it's important if you want them to come home. In the coaching years, you connect more than correct. You. My hope is that you've corrected him for 12 years. At least. And they get it. I... I I don't, I'm, I'm reticent to say this, but the truth was for Chantel and I, our boys' teenage years were some of the best years of our lives. We really enjoyed them. We loved watching them do their things and um, meeting their friends and having them over the house. It was great. But coaching is a, is a particular kind of relationship, and I'm so grateful for the YMCA. Um, I coached flag football and tackle football for years. Uh, this is Noah and Jared Gill, both of our church, and uh, we came in second, by the way. Woo! Woo! Um, but here's the thing. The thing I learned in, in the coaching uh, workshops is you don't coach during the game. You don't correct during the game. Right? People can't handle that. You don't do that in public. Right? You praise in public. You correct in private. Right? So, did you ever... This drives me nuts sometimes. You'll, you'll see, like, a terrible play of your favorite team. And they come off the field. And you're like, that's it. That's the ball game. That was terrible. And the coach is clapping. He's like, yeah. Yeah, you're right, you're right. And you're like, has he lost his mind? No. The coach actually knows that that's the only thing that's even halfway effective. Because if you try to correct in that moment, they can't do it. You try to teach them a new skill in the middle of a game, they will crater and fail right in front of you. It's wisdom, friends. Do not correct your kids in front of their friends. Right? You may be like, we need a minute, and you go off, and you do what you need to do. But you're, never embarrass your kids. Don't just your kids in front of their kids, in front of their teachers, any of that. So in the chapter that Sandra Stanley writes, she says this, Bailing out our kids hurts way more than it helps. Swooping in and keeping them from failing may feel good in the moment, but they suffer later and fall harder. We must allow our kids to experience the natural consequences that stem from their actions. That's real life, isn't it? That's how they learn most effectively. So coaches, what do we do? We watch carefully. We don't get distracted. We guide, but we pull players off the field when they're injured or when they're overtired for their protection and for the good of the team because there are times that people should not be on the field there are times your kids should not be awake they're overtired they're hurt and they need you to protect them in those moments so the goal in this season and and by the way these are not hard and fast rules every kid matures differently, girls mature faster than boys. We know these things. But the goal is to keep them coming to you for guidance and support. You can't help something you don't know about. Right? You want your kids talking to you. You want to have that open relationship. Again, Andy Stanley says, adult children who are tired of being told what to do eventually stop calling. Stop coming home. Teens who know they'll be punished stop telling their parents what's going on in their lives. When parents don't evolve their parenting as their child develops, they undermine their influence with their child. So what does this look like? Your child comes home. They normally make great grades. Not today. They've got a D in a class that's easy for them. What do you do? Don't freak out. When they tell you that they're dating the most annoying girl in the entire school, say it with me, don't freak out. Right? Right? When they wreck your car for the second time. <laughs> Say with me. Don't freak out. Don't freak out. Don't freak out. Right? Why? Because you're the parent. They need to know that they can bring you anything. And you'll hear it. You may not like it. You may not respond for five days to get yourself together. But you're not going to do what? Freak out. Nope. You're not going to. Because... Some of your kids are going to leave the house. And if they can't talk to you when they're teenagers, they sure but aren't talking to you about other stuff that's even bigger later. Right? So what we want is to engage and connect as adults who enjoy each other's company. It's wonderful. Um, Our boys come home uh, about once a month at least. And we, I mean, it's great. We we love it. It's so exciting. Like, hey, they're coming in. You know, what are we going to go do? What are we going to, you know, what are we going to see? All that kind of thing. So parenting really isn't that complex, uh, but it can be difficult. So when it comes to parenting, show up when they call, really show up when they call, listen when they share and support when they need it. Show up when they call, listen when they share, support when they need it. So here are your action steps. Now, these are just two ways to get at it. One, write a note, write a note to your child. About something, And just say, you know, I felt so proud to be your parent when, whatever it is, when you stood up for your friend, when I heard you pray at youth group, when I saw you go out of your way to take care of somebody um, that was hurting. I'm so proud of you when. So proud of you um, when you did this thing that was very difficult for you physically or emotionally or spiritually. And so write that down for them so they have it. They'll hold on to it. Or say out loud or write either way. You know, I noticed how much effort you put into whatever it is. Thank you. You know, it really it makes a difference to me. It makes a difference to our family. Those little things. But again, if you can't remember all this, if it's freaking you out, just be a dog. be all right. Except when your kids are cats, then back it up. And then you can be a dog again when they get older. Just love it when they come home. It'll be all right. So, I'm proud of you. Parent as you can, not as you can't. And uh, if you have any questions about any of this, see Robert. Um, (laughs) Robert is actually um, a therapist and knows all kinds of stuff. And he has grace-based parenting right after this service over in the chapel. And so he's got weeks and weeks and weeks of material that I could never get to. Um, But seriously, yeah, see Robert. He's awesome. Um, And he's parented as well. So he knows stuff. So let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come.